If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2023, please make a year-end gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, answering arguments against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. I cannot say I love God, but reject the body that He's given me. Europeans abandon their churches, but Americans secularize their churches. That's what's happening here. Benedict was a theologian. He was very concerned with speaking clearly, precisely. You always know what he means when he speaks and writes. Much of the confusion in the Roman Catholic Church with the Francis papacy has been sown by ambiguity. And when we experience the weakness, the frailty, the sin within our own marriages and family, take heart. The fulfillment of what God intended for marriage is finally found in Christ. New York City subway riders love issues, etc. The language of resolve is not foreign to Holy Scripture. The Apostle Paul, I resolve to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Himself, His entire ministry is, is typified by His resolve to get to His cross and carry out His saving work. So sometimes Christians are all about New Year's resolutions, and sometimes Christians, they poo-poo New Year's resolutions. Why both? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Monday afternoon, January the 16th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about New Year's resolutions. Then we'll study an epiphany hymn that most of us sang yesterday, The Only Son from Heaven. Our guest will be Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he's author of an essay titled On New Year's Resolutions. Brian, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Why do Lutheran pastors of our generations, I'm significantly older than you are, but I think we both experienced it throughout the better part of our ministries. Why do Lutheran pastors tend to kind of snicker at New Year's resolutions? Well, there's a snickering at anything that is, you know, of the world. It's like, hey, we, you know, we don't have New Year's, we have Epiphany. Or even better, we don't have New Year's Day, we have the day of the circumcision and naming of Jesus. And the stuff that the world does, I mean, this is probably the same, Thanksgiving and all these secular holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day. I remember as a young pastor, I would sort of roll my eyes at those things. But boy, we need those celebrations more than ever. And we probably ought to be able to see when the culture gets something right, or at least is standing on the front porch of something right, we ought to be able to recognize it and commend it. But I think New Year's resolutions has that sense. It's easy to mock them because they're so often broken. Everyone has good intention, good desire, good hopes, but then it, it runs into reality. And so the diet lasts for a couple of days or the exercise lasts for a couple of weeks. It's always great to go to the gym in January and see the big crowds, and then in March, you know, nowhere to be found, this kind of thing. So it's easy just to uh, to make fun of, but maybe theologically, because the Lutherans 
see the danger of a theology that's built on decision and resolve, especially the free will theology of American Christianity that puts everything on your resolve and intent and decision. I mean, that's like when you, you know, get the Gideon Bible, when you became a Christian was when you decided to become a Christian. They, they make conversion like a New Year's resolution. And so our theological reaction to that, that says that salvation is not our resolve to follow Jesus, but Jesus' resolve to die and rise for us, then it makes us suspicious, I think, of overemphasizing the will or these kind of decisions that are there. And it's true that resolve is not repentance. Repentance is contrition and faith. It's the work of the Holy Spirit by the law and the gospel to show us our sin and God's anger at our sin and to show us Christ, the Savior of sinners. And repentance is very different than resolve. Guilt is very different than regret. Hope is very different than determination. And so we want to work in these, chiefly in these theological categories, and it seems like New Year's resolutions just might get in the way. It might be distracting. It's, I can be a better person and it be all that I can, this kind of autonomous building of my own life. And we are not about that. So it's understandable that we would be weary of the topic. Is it an overreaction sometimes? Yeah, it's always an overreaction because, because look, you know, to wake up and say, I'd like to be a better person today and especially i'd like to be a better servant to all the people that the lord has given me to serve a better servant to my wife and to my children and to my neighbors and to my congregation that's great if we can think of the distinction of law and gospel chronologically i think luther gives us some real great hints is that we we wake up with resolve and we go to bed with repentance we wake up and we pray lord may all my doings in life please you and we go to bed praying, forgive me for all the sins I've done this day. So Moses is helping us with thinking about tomorrow, and Jesus is helping us think about yesterday. We don't want to reverse that. We don't want to let Moses sit there and condemn us for everything ha that happened wrong yesterday. And we don't want the devil to trick us to thinking that the gospel is not forgiveness but excuse. So, hey, do, you know, do whatever you want. No one will get hurt, and Jesus won't be that upset that kind of misuse of the gospel. So we let the gospel cover the past and we let the law direct the future. Again, Luther's morning and evening prayers teach us that so nicely. And so at New Year's, it's nice to sort of say, it's not just the beginning and the end of a day. The Lord has given me this beginning and end of a year. So I can look back and repent of the things that went wrong and I can look forward and I could imagine how the Lord might use me to accomplish something helpful and do something good to serve my neighbor. You say that in terms of that overreaction, that a despising of New Year's resolutions may indicate a subtle despising of the Lord's gift of time. What do you mean? Yeah, it is. And I don't, I'm not, there's a lot of really smart people who are thinking about time stuff. I'm not one of them, but I'm, I'm somewhat curious about this strange thing is that the Lord has put us in time Someone responded to this little post with a poem about time and talked about how we're always uncomfortable with time. It's always going too fast or too slow. We want to be in the future. We want to be in the past. We're, that, that, that everything but the now is, is disorienting to us, and, and that's an indication that 
we are built for eternity. It's a really interesting and curious idea. Either way, the Lord has put us in time. So he's He's put us in the now, and we, he's, we're not in the past, we're not in the future. We look forward, we, we look backward, but we're in this gift of time. And the Lord has even given us tools to equip us for this time. He, he created the the sun and the moon and the stars and the day and the night. All of these are gifts to serve us so that if we would try to live some sort of timeless existence or not be aware of the passing of time, that would be forgetting or rejecting or despising the gifts that the Lord has given us. And and so time's in these loops. I remember in in, in college when we were talking about time and and they were pointing out that the, there's the way you think about time is one of the big parts of your worldview, and especially the Eastern worldview has this cyclical view of time, these big loops, whereas the Western worldview does not. It's linear. It has a beginning and an end, and, and this is what we believe. The Lord created the world out of nothing. That's when time started, and there will be a day, the last day, which will mark the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth, the end of this world, so that there's an end there. But in this linear view, we have all these little loops. We have a year and a month and a week for some reason. I mean, because the Lord created it, we have the day. And so the Lord has put in these little loops and we want to live in them. We don't want to ignore them. We don't want to have a 24 seven manic life. And so when the Lord gives us the gift of the year, we would say, okay, Lord, thank you for this. And th thank you for the fact that I get to end one year and start another one. That's a gift from God, and I think we do well to receive it as a gift. I want you to talk a little bit more about that because time is part of the order of creation. We don't arbitrarily mark seven days as a week. We mark that as God's timekeeping for us. And I don't think Christians are at liberty to say, oh, let's just do a 10-day week or a five-day week because there is a commandment attached to the timekeeping of seven days connected directly to God's creative activity in Genesis. And then he's told us that the lights that he created in the sky are not primarily to illuminate the night or the day, but for seasons and timekeeping. Talk about that. Yeah, there's a this foreshadowing in Genesis 1, 14 to 19 is when the Lord creates the lights. So this is the fourth day. And you have this sense, especially when the Lord creates the sun and the moon and the stars, that they are not for themselves, but they are for us, even though the Lord hasn't created us yet. The Lord is, in the first five days of creation, it's it's like, um, well, it's like Carrie when she's hustling us around the house, getting ready for people to come over. Like everything that we're doing is in preparation for the people who are about to arrive. Everything that the Lord is doing in the first five days is preparing for Adam and Eve to arrive. So even the sun and the moon and the stars are there for us. And these are the markers of time. It's it's always been a curious to, thing to me and a, a really, I think, profound apologetic point is that we have four days of, mar four little loops that we live in, the day, the week, the month, and the year, and that three of them have very obvious natural connections. So the year is the time that it takes to go around the sun. It's the sun loop, but it looks to us like the earth loop. It's kind of curious. The month is the moon loop. The day is the earth loop, which looks like the sun loop. But the week, there's no correspondence in creation. There's no 
little moon spinning around or sun, there's no light or whatever that changes every week, but it's deeply embedded in nature and creation itself. So there's been people who have tried to have different weeks. I think the Romans tried to do like a 10 day week and the, the Russian communists tried a five day week or something and it never works. It like everything starts to break when you move away from the seven day week, but it's not like there's no obvious reason for that. And this is one of these testimonies that the Lord created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day so that this period of time is useful for work and rest for doing and receiving and this pattern is built in pastor brian wolf miller is our guest we're talking about new year's resolutions he's author of an essay titled on new year's resolutions when we come back the difference between the old testament time and new testament time Listen to the best of the church's Christmas music during the entire Christmas season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. During the 12 days of Christmas, Lutheran Public Radio, LutheranPublicRadio.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. He's the most Lutheran man in the world. I'm not always in Pensacola, Florida, but when I am, I attend Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Pensacola, Florida invites you to join us for divine services on Sundays at 8 or 10.30, Sunday school and Bible class at 9.15. Whether you're in Pensacola to enjoy the white sandy beaches of the Emerald Coast or for military training, we invite you to join us. Jesus is here. Word, water, bread and wine for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Stay Lutheran, my friends. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about New Year's resolutions on this Monday, January the 16th. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. What we don't want to make the distinction too strong because it's not as though God has changed from Old Testament to New Testament. What is new about the New Testament's way of regarding time that really is in some ways connected to and rooted in the old? 
This is a curious thing, which I hope that maybe someone listening might have more insight on this. I just, I've noticed it and I've been thinking about it and I don't know exactly what to do with it, but there's two different patterns of work and rest, day and night. So the days for working, the nights for resting, and then the week, you have six days of working and one day of rest. And in the Old Testament, people have noted this quite a bit that the day starts with the night so as soon as it's still the jewish tradition as soon as you could see three stars at a glance or you could see three stars at a glance with that if there weren't clouds or whatever that's when the day begins at night and so when jesus is praying in the garden what we would call monday thursday night but when the sun is set that's already friday it's already on good friday this is the pattern from genesis 1 the evening and the morning the first day so the daily pattern is to rest and then to work. When I was sick a couple of years ago, I was so tired coming out of this COVID business that if I had anything to do, I had to rest before I did it. Like if I had a phone call to make, I would have to take a nap before I made that phone call. So I'd have to work and rest. That's the idea in the Jewish day pattern. And it was, it was really tough for me because I didn't just think, well, you work until you can't and then you rest. So rest and work, but then the week pattern is to work then rest. So the Sabbath is the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week. The Lord works first and then he rests. So you have these two different work-rest patterns. In the New Testament, it seems like this is reversed. So that the Sabbath, the, well, the, the day that the church celebrates, is the first day of the week, Sunday. So it's rest first and then work according to the week. But we've flipped the day so that it's day first and then night. So we've kind of reversed these two patterns of work and rest. And it's a very interesting thing just to, to think, do I rest in order to work or do I work in order to rest? And those two things are feeding back into each other. There's also a big picture, Old Testament, New Testament, because the Old Testament is really looking forward to the promises being fulfilled. And yet there's a curious way that they were waiting for those promises. The Hebrew scholars tell us that memory, the past, was in front of the Hebrews. So it's like you're walking through time backwards. You're moving into the future, but your eyes are looking at the past. So what's in front of you is the past, and what's behind you is the future. And I don't know when and how this switch happened. It's probably a move to more Greek thinking. We think of the future in front of us and the past behind us. But that puts us in a really difficult spot because if we're you know we're we're walking into the dark the lord has hidden the future from us he hasn't told us what the future is he's revealed a lot of the past especially in the scriptures and in history and so forth but we always want to know what we can't know i was talking to my kids about this because we, we always want to know what's going to happen tomorrow if someone comes on and they have a like they're going to prophesy what's going to happen tomorrow we're so interested but if i tell you what happened yesterday we're like ah ho-hum doesn't matter. Well, you're supposed to be excited about what you're given to know, the past, and indifferent to the future. If the Lord, if it was the opposite, if the Lord revealed the future and he hid the past from us, then we would all go to psychics trying to get access to the past, <laughs> trying to, we, we, we'd go pay mediums to tell us about the things that happened already about the past. We'd, we'd like have a horoscope about yesterday. So we, we're always obsessed with knowing <laughs> what we're not supposed to know. So it's good for us to remember that 
that the Lord has hidden the future from us. He's revealed the past. So Christians are to be historians, looking back and rejoicing at the, what the Lord has done and clinging to the singular truth that the Lord has given us, that one day soon the Lord will return and judge the quick and the dead. Given what you've just said there, that he has not shown us, or he has in very limited ways, told us by way of prophecy and promise, in very general ways, what lies in the future for us, for the church and for the world. We know certain things very certainly, and the rest of it's completely blank. The particulars are largely blank. Why would a Christian then want to make a resolution about the next year? Why would someone might say, well, Jesus says... That's kind of a form of anxiety saying, I'm going to do this and you can't change tomorrow. Today's troubles are sufficient for the day. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Bible sets us to, to two sort, and they seem contradictory, maybe paradoxical. It gets us two different attitudes towards the future. So on the one hand, we are ready for everything to change. We're ready for the great and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're ready for him to stand on the earth and we're ready to stand before him on the judgment day when he's going to divide the sheep and the goats and that readiness by the way is faith it's nothing let's just say faith alone it's faith alone that clings to the promise of the forgiveness of sins that makes us ready for the judgment day so you can do nothing to be ready for it except for what the lord has given to stand in your baptism to rejoice in his mercy you can't be good enough for that day only the blood of christ will see us through that judgment day so we're ready for absolutely everything to change we're ready for our bodies to lose their corruption we're ready for our souls to lose the stain and effects of all the sin that clings to us we're ready for death and sickness and and everything else to be no more we're ready for that but we're also ready to wait. This is a huge theme of Jesus' teaching, that the church is a waiting church. The five foolish bridesmaids, the five foolish virgins were foolish because they were not ready for the wait. And so the Lord has also prepared us for a long wait to have families, to have children, to establish things that are in fact generational, to look to the future because we don't know when the Lord will come. So the Christian is a builder. The Christian is looking to establish things so that we live with the hope that today will be the last day of history, but we also are planning that we're going to be able to do something good tomorrow to serve and bless our neighbor while we're waiting. So we have these two mutual impulses in our consideration of tomorrow. The hope for the hope for the end, the expectation that it's not the end and there's a long way to go. While I, I completely in favor of the notion of the church keeping its own time by its own calendar, that the real year for the Christian begins with the season of Advent in advance of the world's new year. Is there a also a Christian utility to marking the passage of a year the way that the world does? Yeah. I think it's something wonderful. And I think President Harrison wrote about this in the Lutheran Witness article, is that some pagan emperor says, hey, here's when the year's going to start, and I'm going to name these years after myself and my family and all these pagan gods. And then Jesus says, okay, how about that first day of the year is when I get my name? <laughs> and so Jesus kind of takes this pagan year, and he claims this as, as its own. And so it is wonderful that on the first day of the year, we celebrate the name of Jesus, because it is the year of our Lord. This is the year of our Lord. 2023 and whenever it starts or whenever it stops it's his year 
And that old language, by the way, is helpful to bring back. It's in some of the official announcements or liturgical announcements that we have in church, the year of our Lord, 2023. But we should probably start using that more. It reminds us that Jesus is Lord also of time, present, past, future, and all of it. And since the world says, okay, hey, let's start the new year here, we say, great, we can use that. We can use this time to stop and realize that time keeps on coming, and we can think back and think forward and receive it as a gift. If we moved somewhere else, China or something, and they start the new year on a totally different day, then that's great. We could we could start it with them, too, and take advantage of the, the way that people are tracking time to use it, to rejoice in the Lord, to be thankful, and to try to also grow in our love and service for the neighbor. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. We're talking about New Year's resolutions on this Monday, January the 16th. We're going to discuss three hopes, two big and one small, with him on the other side of the break. He's pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he's author of an essay titled On New Year's Resolutions. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. As we bid farewell to the old year and welcome the new, let's embrace the promise of new beginnings. In this journey, we are reminded that each year is a gift from the Creator, filled with opportunities, hope, and blessings. Wishing you a new year where your faith is strengthened, your joy abounds, and you find God's grace in every moment. Happy New Year from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, President of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. One of the things our listeners like most about Issues Etc. is expert guests. The other thing they like is, related to that, in-depth conversations. Well, if you like in-depth, then the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, the Concordia Commentary on John chapter 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50, is for you. It's written by Dr. Bill Weinrich, one of our regular guests. There is the expertise, and if you want in-depth This is the second volume on John, and the third one is coming. That's in-depth treatment of that important gospel book. Find out more about the Concordia Commentary on John, the second volume, 1-800-325-3040. You can order it there from Concordia Publishing House as well, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. The Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. He's pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he's authored an essay titled On New Year's Resolutions. You talk about three hopes, two big and one little. What are they? Yeah, our big hope is in Christ our Redeemer. And really, he is our only hope for life and for life eternal. There's no hope in ourselves. We are sinners. We're fallen, corrupt through and through. And left to ourselves, there would be nothing but despair. But the Lord Jesus Christ looked on our miserable condition. He came down and into our flesh. He made himself our brother. He bore our sins on the cross. He rose from the dead and sits at the right end of the Father and sends the Spirit so that we can hear the word of the gospel. And he says that he is our our life, our salvation, and in him is the forgiveness of all of our sins. This is our great hope. And this, Christ, our hope, has given us another hope for the future, which is that he will return on the last day, and he will raise the dead. He will give to us perfection, body and soul, in the resurrection, and usher us into the new heaven and the new earth, all by his grace, all by his kindness, all by his love and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in us. This is all his pure gift. So we have this, these two marvelous hopes, the hope that springs from the empty grave of Jesus and the hope that is bounding back at us from the last day, this hope of the Lord's return. These are the great hopes. And sandwiched between these two great hopes is a small hope, a lesser hope, which is our hope for tomorrow that the Lord will give us a tomorrow according to his will while we wait for the great last day. And that hope is that we might have another day of the Lord's blessings, another day of his mercy, another day of his forgiveness and kindness, another day of life 
with our neighbors to love and serve them and to do a little something to bless the people around us. And that's the hope that energizes our vocations, our work, our planning, our thinking, our love. And that's probably the hope that motivates also our New Year's resolution. That the, Look, the last year's done. Now we have this year. So what will it be? Now, we don't know if we'll have the whole year. The Lord will come back before it. But it looks like he's given us this little hope that there'll be a year. And so we think, okay, what's that going to look like? What gifts is the Lord going to give? And how might the Lord also use me to give gifts to the people that are around me? So this is a little mini hope that is sandwiched between these two great hopes. What does it mean that Christians are to redeem the time? Because that's been the subject of our conversation here so far, the nature of time, the divine imprint that God has put on his created world through time, and how Christians are to live in it, and in the words of the apostle, to redeem it. Yeah, that's right. So there's a lot of things that we can do with time. You, we can waste it. We even talk about that. What a phrase is this? Just We're just killing time. What can you imagine? This is most of our lives is just we're just murdering time, time killers, crazy. But Paul would have the Christian think about time in a different way. We are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, so we already belong to the Olam, to the eternal reign of Christ. We already have everlasting life, but the Lord hasn't baptized us into glory. He hasn't baptized us into eternity. He's baptized us and he's let us you know, sit here in the calendar. So we we have to live in this time and I think try to do something helpful with it. It's curious to me, and I was I was meditating on this for this little essay and I couldn't pluck any fruit from it, but it's an interesting word that Paul uses when he says, redeem the time. It's a word that has to do with salvation. We talk about how Christ is our redeemer. He's the one who has bought us back. He's paid the price for us so that we might be his. There's a sense that is that we are no longer the slaves of time, but the time comes to us as a gift. And we redeem that time, and we sanctify that time when it's filled with the things that the Lord has, has given, his created gifts and especially the gifts of his word. So when we think of redeeming the time, I don't think it's a bad idea to think, well, how can I rejoice in the Lord's gifts while I'm waiting for him to come? So what could I do that would be a little bit better this next year? What, what are good things to start? What are good things to do more of? What are good things to do less of? What are good things to stop? And we can take those four questions and in that way at least approach redeeming the time as Paul has given us this instruction. I like the analogy cut, edit, copy, write. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Dad likes to put this in four quadrants. Uh, to, you know, the, when you're writing, you can cut, edit, copy, write. Or the farmer has you prune, you plant, you pluck, and you fertilize. So to cut out that you're just removing it. So what in your life needs to be cut out? What in your life needs to be changed? That's the editing. What in your life needs to be amplified? That's copy. What do you need to start? That's the write. So we can have a quadrant there. What do I want to do more? What do I want to do less? What do I want to start? What do I want to stop? And that might be a good exercise just to have that quadrant and, and talk about it with your family and friends. Here, here's something I'd like to start this year. And it doesn't have to be these big, you know, one of the problems with New Year's resolutions is it's like, I'm going to, 
I am going to lose 700 pounds in the next three minutes. You know, I mean, these kind of huge, big things. This, and you kind of roll your eyes when you see what people are resolving to do. Or I, I'm going to, you know, I haven't, I, I have, I get winded when I walk to the mailbox, but I'm going to run a marathon. And, you know, just, it's like, hey, I want to spend more time in the sun and I want to read a page of the Bible and I want to make sure I pray out loud before I eat dinner. These, these little things, and these will be great. These little things compound and begin to bless the neighbor. Another thing that's, I think, important when thinking practically about our resolutions is that one of the temptations with New Year's resolutions is that they're self-directed. A lot of them, they have to do with our own health and our own bodies, especially, which is fine. We live in the body, but it's good for the Christian to think, no, I'm not here for myself. So the Lord has not given me this little hope of tomorrow, this little hope of 2023 for myself, he's put me in it to serve others. So how can I love and trust in the Lord and how can I bless and serve my neighbor? It's good to add that to our reflections because that pulls us out of ourselves, which is what we need more and more, to be pulled out of ourselves to serve and care for the people around us, to, to do our duty that the Lord has given us to do. The other thing about the apostolic analogy that he gives in his letter to Timothy, one of the letters to Timothy about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, you'd mentioned the farmer, yeah, is yeah. that all three of those metaphorical vocations for the Christian do have something to do with time. The soldier has a term of service. The athlete, he has a limited amount of time before he competes, and then often that competition is tied some way to time. And then the farmer, well, he just, <laughs> he lives and dies by the seasons that God has created into this world. Yeah, that's a, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, where Paul explicitly says to Timothy, think about the soldier, think about the athlete, and think about the farmer. And he does this, he commends these three meditations on these three vocations for the sake of Timothy as a pastor, but I think it's good for us to think of it as a soldier. And like you mentioned, Todd, it's the farmer who has to deal with time. I mean, Jesus tells the parable, remember, of the farmer who sows the seed and goes to sleep and it grows and he doesn't even know how. That's only in Mark, it's a little bitty parable, but very interesting, is that the farmer is the one who's really paying attention to the sun and the moon and the timing of things. And so the farmer would teach us that there is a, a time and a season and so this is good for us to think of how the farmer thinks about time and to recognize that we, we are now farmers. And there's a time for planting, and there's a time for harvesting. And that is by the Lord's institution. That's not just accidental. And, I mean, I let me just speak for myself here. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to live on a farm. The closest I got was growing up next to a field that had some cows in it. So th this idea of the seasons and the way that they work is, is just foreign to the, to the shape of my imagination. But Paul is pushing us that way so that we know that there's a time for all these things as the Lord has appointed. It's not always time to plant. It's not always time to harvest. It's not always time to, you know, you can't go and sow the seed in the middle of the winter. It just doesn't work. It's a foolish thing. So to pay attention to that in our own families and our own vocations in our churches and so forth. This is some of the wisdom that, that Paul's pointing us to. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. When we come back, resolutions that every Christian ought to make. And by the way, they don't have anything to do with losing weight this next year. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2023, please make a year-end gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about New Year's resolutions with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. He's author of an essay titled On New Year's Resolutions. So, Brian, you were quite correct in pointing out that the weakness of a, of a lot of New Year's resolutions is that they're self-directed. So let's draw our resolution from God's holy word. What are some resolutions that every Christian should make? Sure. Well, maybe the first thing is that we, we pause to look back over the past year because a resolution is something of a course correction something that I'm gonna make a change in so to get a good sense of what it was last year and when we look back it this is so important Todd that we we want to always first give thanks we thank the Lord for the last year even if it was a miserable crummy year with a lot of pain and whatever this still we give thanks that the Lord has given us that year and all his gifts in that year so we always lead with Thanksgiving and then what is there to repent of and you know where's my guilt and where's my shame and where's my disappointment what did i do wrong so so that's a good place to start what do i want to fix is, is are there broken things that need to be fixed are there broken relationships that can be fixed are there bad habits that can be that can be worked on and then to look forward for the next year and uh, really to apply the template that luther gives us in the catechism also to my year this is one of the keys to life. When Luther teaches us to go to confession, and, and we say, well, what sins could I confess? He says, consider your station in life 
according to the Ten Commandments. And that's not just for going to confession. That's probably the whole secret to life below as we live and serve and bless our neighbor. What's my station in life according to the Ten Commandments? Am I going to church? Am I reading the Bible? Am I praying with my family? Am I working hard? Am I obedient to my parents, etc., etc.? So we're thinking through this, our own station and vocation in life, according to the Ten Commandments, and then it might be helpful just to break it off into things to do and things to keep doing. In other words, some things we might, you know, I want to do this. Like, maybe there's a cousin that I want to, I want to try to have lunch with so that we can reconnect or we can resolve a fight. Or there's a person at work that I want to talk to about a certain thing that they said the other day. So maybe there's tasks that we could add to our resolve, and it's a good time to put those down. We could do that anytime, but that's good. Then especially, what do I want to keep doing? What are the habits of my own life that will be helpful? So we pray before we go to bed. We pray before we eat. We read the Bible. I think a great resolution is that we, well, if we're not going to church every Sunday, we got to fix that. That's not a resolution. That's a command from God. So get that straightened out. But to prepare ourselves for church so that maybe we listen to the, depending on what lectionary the service is on, I'm going to make sure I read those texts before I go to church, or I'm going to listen to the getting ready for Sunday on the way to church with my family from the podcast or whatever, so that we can think of ways that we can grow in knowledge and wisdom and service to the Lord. It's also a good time to think of the books that you want to put in front of you to try to read this year, especially for the people who are listening to us, the theologians, is this is what it means to be a theologian, is to read old theology books. So what two or three books do I want to read this year? And you didn't finish the ones last year or whatever, whatever it was, you know, I've got a pile of 7,000 books that I need to read, but but we say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to look at these two, three books this year, and I'm going to try to get through them. That's a really good thing for Christian theologians to do. And then to think of how I can have those conversations with the people around me. It's kind of nice to think of these things, like all the ways that we might be able to creatively really serve and bless our neighbor. That's what we're here for. New Year's time is a time to think that through. Talk about the daily resolution that you mentioned earlier. You said, according to Luther's, morning and evening prayers, we begin with resolve and we end with repentance. Yeah. Luther teaches us in the Catechism that when we wake up in the morning, we bless ourselves with the Holy Cross because we belong to Jesus and we're baptized. We're living a different life. It's so great. And then we pray that it's creed and the Lord's Prayer. And Luther says, if you've got time, you can pray this little morning prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also that all my doings in life may please you. So that we we wake up in the morning, or we wake up on January 1st in the new year, or whatever, Monday morning, the new week, we wake up with this bright-eyed hopefulness that the Lord by His Spirit would keep us and use us and protect us and help us. It's so great. Now we go about it, and our morning resolve is always flattened by the day and so we crumble into bed at night and here the prayer is forgive me for all my sins where I, I mean everything else is the same but it's forgive me for all my sins for all that I've done wrong so that when we 
go about with our failed resolutions, with our, with our broken resolve, with our paltry prayers, with our suspect love and service for the neighbor. I mean, all this stuff. This is just trying to get through the day as a sinner. And now we come and say, Lord, boy, if it were not for your kindness and mercy and the blood of Jesus, I've, I've got nothing. So we repent and rejoice that the Lord still forgives us. He still loves us. He still delights in us, which is, oh, you couldn't believe it unless it was written down. He still cares for us. And so we rest in his arms. We rest in his mercy. We commend ourselves to him. We lay down and sleep in peace for the Lord alone makes us dwell in safety. And then we wake up in the morning resolved to do it again. <laughs> And this is our life while we wait for the Lord to return. It's really beautiful. The law giving direction and the gospel giving comfort and peace. Is there anything wrong with the, the purely temporal resolution? I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to exercise more. I want to spend more time with my kids. Or I want to get up earlier in the morning and not waste so much of the day. No, it's great. We should, because we are, remember how Paul said it, we are soldiers and athletes and farmers. And the mark of all three of those is that those guys are committed. The athlete beats his body, makes it a servant, so they could run the race. So that there is a way that we, we are living in the body, and we recognize that there's a good way to live in the body and a bad way to live in the body. The important thing for the Christian, though, is just to realize that it's your body, but it's not for you. It's for Jesus and your neighbor. But that means that it's probably not good to get two hours of sleep every night and to eat Frosted Flakes for three meals a day. You know, that's, that is not going to help you serve your neighbor and, and bless them. So it's not bad to make sure that we, that we are both rejoicing and careful in this life in the body. It's just also good to keep in mind that that's also not for us. Is Christian resolution either on the big scale, like we've been talking about yearly, or on the small scale, daily, is it really a vital part of what it means to be a disciple? That is discipline. Yeah. And there's this way that, and this I think is a missed part of our Lutheran theology, is that that there's a part of repentance Part of faith is it's agreeing with God, not just in what he says, but in what he feels. And that especially has to do with our own sinful flesh. So that part of the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us is a growing disgust in our temptations, a growing disappointment in our failures. Romans 7 talks about this flesh-spirit divide and how the good that I would, I don't. So that this battle that's always inside of us, like I want to do the right thing, but I, I don't end up doing it. And I don't want to do the bad thing. I end up doing that. But we find ourselves more and more on the, on the spirit side of that fight rather than the flesh side of that fight. And what I mean is that the temptations and troubles of this world become more and more that part of me which will soon be gone. That part of me which the Lord will remove through the gift of death and resurrection. And so as I'm more and more on the spirit side of that flesh-spirit battle, then I become more and more disgusted with the affliction of my own sin. 
And so this constant battle to both rejoice that Jesus forgives our sins and he doesn't hold us against it, but that I'm now fighting against it so that I could try to love my neighbor better. That's part of our Christian life. And it's an important part of our Christian life so that we have this daily contrition and faith so that the flesh is put to death and we rise to live in newness of life. This newness now comes to us in some ways constantly throughout the day. Joy comes now in the morning, so there's always this restart. But that restart, it's a joyful battle because I know the Lord who loves me. I'm confident in his care for me, and not just his care for me, but his forgiveness. I'm confident in all of these things. I'm disappointed with myself, but I know that I'm not authorized to be more disappointed in myself than Jesus is, and it just so happens that he loves me. And so I, I set about this new day, this new month, this new year, with some, some spiritual vigor to catch up to the Lord's kindness. I mean, it sounds maybe law-motivated, but this is the point, is that Jesus has given me all these great things, and now he's just left me here in this world, which is corrupt through and through, but has all these blessings shining in the middle of it, and he says, now you can also be a blessing there. It's, it's quite amazing. So there's a thankfulness that we receive the gift of time. There's a thankfulness with which the Christian receives each new day and each new year. And that thankfulness is not only to God, but for all the other gifts that he's given. With only about 30 seconds here, it sounds like you're saying that in addition to discipline, resolution on the part of the Christian done in faith is also part of Christian freedom. About 30 seconds. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Lord has given us freedom to know that we don't have to save ourselves. We don't have to perfect ourselves. We don't have to become some sort of great being that will be acceptable on the judgment day. He's taken care of that. So he's given us this great freedom, and that freedom, it gives us joy, again, as St. Peter says, in service to the neighbor. So, so, so we belong to Jesus. This year belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Your sins and your life, they belong to Jesus. And that is good news. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolf Miller One, and he's author of an essay titled On New Year's Resolutions. You can read it at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Brian, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Happy New Year. Up next, we'll be studying a hymn that most of us sang yesterday in church, The Only Son from Heaven with Pastor Will Whedon, host of the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Trinity Orchard Farm is settled between two rivers showing the way to the water of life. 
for worship that is reverent, relevant, and refreshing like pure water, or for excellent education in a unique setting, check out our church and school. We're just five miles north of Highway 370 on Highway 94 in St. Charles County. Visit us on the web at trinityorchardfarm.com. That's trinityorchardfarm.com. Our phone number is 636-250-3350. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.